Hi, my name's Ian Beaton. You're about to listen to everyday people from differing backgrounds, but with one thing in common, a story. A story of adversity, a story of inspiration, a story of laughter, sometimes a story of sadness, or simply a story to make you think. I believe everyone has a story. I also believe that story should be shared. Welcome to So What's Your Story? Hello and welcome to another episode of So Watch Your Story. And in the studio with me today is a wonderful woman, um, Jane James. Jane is the founder and CEO of Little Voices. And uh, that name intrigued me when I first uh, sort of came across it. What is Little Voices? Well, um, Jane's going to tell us a little bit more about this, I'm sure. But Little Voices, to summarise, is a multi-award winning um, singing and drama classes for children and young people aged 4 to 18 years of age. It helps them basically become the best they can be through the uh, uh, medium of of drama and singing. Um, But Jane herself, um, despite being highly successful as a business owner and leader, hasn't always had life so easy. Um, Her husband left her when she was six months pregnant. She suffered a pandemic breakdown. She was hospitalised for six weeks. And she also, along this journey, which is not easy, decided to become alcohol-free. But Jane is a bit of an enigma, and she sort of rose like a phoenix, and uh, from these troubled times has become a shining light, both personally and professionally. Jane, welcome to So Watch Your Story. It's great to have you in the studio with me. Um, uh, How are you? I'm good, thank you. Wow, I'm a little bit blown away and overwhelmed by that by that introduction. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for sharing from my story. And I hope it, it helps somebody, just one person out there. I, I know that it will. It's a very inspirational story. So where shall we start, Jane? Where would you like to begin this, this journey that we all call life? <laughs> um, and uh, where would you like to begin with your story? Where shall we kick off? I, I'm happy wherever we go. Shall we start at the beginning? I had a it's, beautiful, beautiful childhood. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice place to, to start at the beginning. So you had a great childhood. There was no no sort of, you know, uh, uh, horrible experiences there. You had a great, warm, loving uh, environment that you grew up in. And, uh, you know, talk us through that. How was childhood? Were you, were you into performing arts and, and things like that? Absolutely, I was. Um, Singing and performing was there from a very young age. And actually, I do have stories with my parents. And I remember my grandparents talking to me about also that teacher within me was there from a very young age as well. I would sit on the bottom step of our staircase and say all in the little room and get gather all the guests that were at our house that day and <laughs> sit them all round and do you know maths and English and reading stories and I'd copied that from from my you know preschool teacher um so teaching performing it was all there with you know with hindsight an amazing thing um uh, yes as I say I had a, a lovely childhood uh, mum dad grandparents large large extended family very close very lucky. Um, I was very lucky and um, I, I had a, a fabulous time. And the performing started about the age of eight or nine when a, a teacher at school, we've all got the teachers that we, you know, we remember and that pick qualities out in us. And this particular teacher had heard me sing and she'd given me the role of Mary in the nativity. <laughs> and uh, my parents and grandparents came to the school hall and, and watched as I stood up and sang several solos on stage. And and it went down really well. And everyone's like, wow, she's got a lovely voice. And and it progressed from there. What was the name of that teacher? Go on. She's Doxy. She's <laughs> Doxy. Um, there was lovely. My primary school was gorgeous. It was all the things a primary school should be. And um, lovely teachers. We did lots of creative performing arts. Um, lots of shows and opportunities to... Um, present ourselves, you know, quiz shows. We, you know, it was wonderful. It was a really good primary school. And how did that feel to you? Because I remember also as a, as a as a as a young child, um, 
I was a bit of an entertainer. Um, my my grandparents would traditionally have a little bit of a family gathering on Boxing Day uh, because that was also coincidentally their anniversary for, for marriage, their wedding anniversary. <clears throat> and we would get the family round and um, I don't really know how it all started, but um, I decided to do a little show for the family. And uh, and then, um, you know, uh, every year it was like, oh, is it time for Ian's little thing, you know, and it just progressed and progressed. But how did that feel to you when you were... Uh, you know, in the nativity play, uh, sorry, not the nativity play, the, yes, nativity play and the, yeah, and, and, and then performing further from that. Did that build confidence in you as a, as a, as a young child? And, and did it make you, you know, how did it feel? What, what, what were you feeling from that? Was it confidence? Was it sort of recognition? Was it sort of, you know, um, anything else that it that might be? Yeah, it's interesting to think back and, and that question's an interesting one. Obviously, it was building confidence and self-belief in myself because you would have these nerves before you would go on on stage or before a competition, singing competition or performance. You'd deliver. And then afterwards, the congratulations and everyone talking to you and and steadily that built a, a sense of, wow, I can do this and I'm good and, you know, good feelings, really good feelings. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think back and think, oh, my confidence was building and I could feel it building. It, it almost happened, obviously, naturally over over a number of years. Um, and I suppose that's how children, you know, working with me today, that's how, how they feel. It, it's a it's a byproduct of, of putting yourself in these different situations, you know, drama, singing, performing, pushing some comfort zones you it builds over a period of time this confidence and self yeah yeah and there is a crossover there i think from you know childhood performance into you know our adult lives where 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 you know i know you are a highly successful businesswoman and i'm sure there are times when you go into perhaps a somewhat nerve-wracking meeting for example and are you able to pull on that on that inner confidence of, of that that performer in you to sort of say, okay, well, look, you know, it's just a meeting, and, and I've performed in front of hundreds of people, and and and, and I've been a successful uh, singer at, at a point in my life, and you know, does, does does that does that sort of pull into your business mindset? It absolutely does. It's that you mentioned it at the very beginning. It's be the best that you can be, and I go back to that in any situation. I can only be me. And I can only do the best that I can do within this situation. And then I go into, you know, taking good deep breaths because obviously learning how to sing, you know how to breathe, you know how to stand, you know how to hold yourself, you know how to give good eye contact. So, you know, you've got those skills and then you go for that, for, you know, that that attitude, just be the best that you can be. So you do, you draw on that naturally, um, which which is a beautiful byproduct of of doing something that you love. So thinking about that then, and I'm going down a little bit of a segue here. This this wasn't the natural flow of the of the session, but it sometimes works out like this, Jane. I'm just thinking um, your current um, business, Little Voices, was th- was it intentional to give children this base, this 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 sort of foundation of building them confidently to become the best they can be? that hopefully that will carry through into their later lives or it is, as, or is it just, as you say, just a byproduct that's naturally there? Um, it's something I spotted very early on when teaching children and is a very conscious part of, of what we do um, because we know, we know it happens, therefore let's, let's embrace it on the full journey. Um, and all of the teachers that I work with, all of the franchisees across the country that I work with, we all have children and being the best that they can be at the heart of what we do. And we know that every child, every person has something amazing to share. So if we can just untap that, open that up and work with it. And we work with it, obviously, through singing games and singing warm ups and drama warm ups. And but it, if you can just find that and tap into it, it will have lifelong lifelong benefits so um no i would say that now it's a very conscious part of 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 how we do things and and how we talk about what we do in in anything the drama and singing is almost secondary 
Interesting. That's amazing. You're giving you're giving children a, a very very good start points. Um, let, let's 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 sort of go back to your story then for a little for a little bit. So obviously you've gone through this this um, childhood confidence of performing and everything else, and then how does how does that transition into maybe into your twenties and your early sort of uh, starting life? So I went to obviously a traditional high school. I wasn't a theatre school or anything like that. Um, so GCSEs, A-levels. And then obviously I walk into the the careers meeting that you're given half an hour each person to discuss where they're going <laughs> next. And at my school, it was all, you knew about the typical things, didn't you? You know, lawyers, accountants, doctors, firefighters, you know, police, those kind of core job roles. Um, and, and my school was very much about universities, the next step. There almost wasn't any any veering off that that route it was the expected you were in an environment that that was the way it was going to be um and I sat there and said well I want to be an opera singer and I don't think the careers (laughs) advisor really had dealt with that before she she was looking down Um, her list going uh right um uh, uh, that's not my typical doesn't seem to be on my list Jane (laughs) um uh, scratching her head nervously uh what do I advise on this one so go on then you wanted to be an opera singer as you do I've got another I've got another 29 minutes to guide this young person (laughs) and I don't know where I'm sending them Uh, I remember the feeling I remember the office I was in I remember the situation and I spent the, the next 20 minutes obviously talking about my love of opera and all the things that I'd researched and where I could go and how I could do that. Um, But I'd also had a very good singing teacher um, outside of school and she'd advised me to make sure you've got the foundations and fundamentals in place so that you've always got something to fall back on. Um, And so that coupled with being at a school that was, you know, heading for university, my decision was not to go straight to music college at 18 because the voice needs time to mature. You as a person need time to mature you're hungry for it you're so hungry to get there um but emotionally life experience you just don't have it honestly going back to music college now in my 40s would have been far more beneficial <laughs> to be able to paint the emotions of these you know tragic operas um but i did make the the sensible decision to do a, a degree at a traditional red brick university and i went off to the university of sheffield to study and read music um wonderful three years there I, I didn't particularly enjoy the course it was very theoretical um it what it wasn't for me but the performance element the, the, the my you know the minutiae of that course that was performance I loved and there was also a business module within that that again with hindsight isn't it a wonderful thing I really loved that we had to design a festival of music and put all the bits in for sales marketing you know and I I absolutely loved that module um, didn't listen to how much I loved it, obviously, because then from there I took a year out, uh, worked in my father's company part time. Again, another year for my voice to mature. Um, I did the London Marathon. I um, raised lots of money for charity, did lots of charity concerts with big brass bands and the big dresses and did all the, the big arias on stage. And I loved that, took a year out, um, a bit of a health uh, issue at that at that point uh, that resulted in quite a lot of operations on my foot. Um, and then I went off to music college to do my master's in opera. So that was how it how I transitioned into getting to, to, to music school and uh, and then working on my voice for the next two years. And where did that take you? You know, you, you mentioned opera. Um, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about your your singing career. Yeah, so um, I suppose I didn't really have a singing career because I never got an agent and I didn't pursue it aggressively, um, consistently for year after year. Um, I went to do my master's degree and spent two years in this bubble with other singers and performers and everybody's aiming for the stage at that point, learning lots of languages from German to Russian, Latin, Spanish, French, learning to emote through this music it it was a wonderful two years of learning but my idea of a of a professional singer was somebody who um stood on the stage and did the popular arias and the popular music that was accessible to to a lot of people um and that's what my image of being an opera singer was i suppose and actually the reality so different to that you know and no one told me that there was no at college there was no discussion on 
you know, potentially other ways of using that, you. That, your that, that, dumb, that and... dumb careers officer, she did no, she didn't really. <laughs> oh, no, not really. Um, could have done with someone really giving me some, some good guidance. Um, you know, the bread and butter of being a singer is doing a lot of oratorio, church music, right. um, working with music societies and really building networks around you and obviously getting an agent. And then part of that audition process is not just is your voice the right voice for the for the show, but does your face fit? Are you the right height? Right. Are, are you built the right way? So I was a mezzo-soprano and quite a lot of the roles were, um, you know, from, from the days of Mozart, you were playing young boys with a mezzo-soprano mm. voice. You know, so... It, there was so much to consider that really at that age and, and stage, I just had no, I, I went into it with, with blinkers really. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, people don't consider this, do they? There's so many variables. And when we go to the theatre and we see performers, um, <clears throat> just such talented individuals really is. And there's there's so much hard work that's gone into actually you know, going through the audition and being selected by the director and the producers to be the right fit, as you say. And there's so many variables. It can be really down to something like you've got the talent, but you just don't look the part, you know, and um, or you don't sound the part. It can, be such a, it can just be such a small thing. Um, and actually, even on the stage, so to, to get that part, you've you've... It's a short run of, of shows. So you might be in a production for, you know, eight weeks or 12 weeks or... Um, and yes, you're doing what you you love, but from a, a financial point of view, the people on the stage, honestly, if you go to the West End and, and if you look at musical theatre performers, they're not paid fortunes. They they love what they do. Yeah. They're absolutely committed to it. So then they've got to find an income alongside that that enables them to go off to do these big runs of shows that gives them that flexibility yeah. so it's a real money no money income no income survival to do the thing that you love at that bottom end of yes. of being a professional singer does that make sense yeah, absolutely feast and famine we all we we often hear about these tales you know that a lot of famous performers <clears throat> they've been seen flipping burgers at some point in in their career or 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 or, or, or mopping floors you know it's 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 or waitressing or whatever doing mundane things just because they, they, as you rightly say, they have a passion for what they do and they're determined to keep following their dream. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of that talent can't continue that journey and they have to just give up the dream and, and, and go somewhere else and do something else. And I'd like to explore then, Jane. And sometimes it's not, yeah, it's not... Sorry, go on, go no, on. say, please. No, I was just going to say, it's not almost like you... You want to give up your dream, but something else comes in inside. So maybe, you know, I, I love family life. I love being with my family. For me, that's how it was. I loved being with my family. I, I saw myself actually getting married and having my own family and a house in in, an, in one area, not living out of a suitcase, you know, not having right. this up-down right. insecurity. So, you know, it's you are almost giving up on your dream. Yes, you are, but you you're also listening to another side of you that's got a huge pull and something that's important to you. So it's honestly it's a really hard mental and emotional journey to make the decision not to continue being a professional singer or a professional actor. Because A, everyone around you's been expecting that for years. That's what all your training's been about, that's what all you've talked about for all of these years. And then it's a, a different reality and a different acceptance both for yourself and and, and sort of verbalizing that to others yeah interesting and it's interesting how your journey went full circle to bring you back to what you do today with little voices <laughs> which is which we'll, 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 we'll touch we'll touch on that further as we go through this uh, uh story of yours um so obviously you know by by the sounds of it you sort of went as far as you could on that journey and then what happened to you then did you did you I mean, talking about relationships, did you did you fall into a relationship? How was your career developing? Which direction did you go in, Jane? Yes, yeah, so I um, it was in that interim period between uh, leaving the Sheffield University and going on to music college, um, having all these operations on my foot, um, and I was on crutches for a long period of time, and I met um, my my boy a boyfriend then, and um, 
when I went off to Glasgow, we still, st- you know, stayed in a relationship and used to travel up and I'd travel back home. And we went through those two years having a, a long distance relationship. When I moved back, finished my master's degree and graduated, moved back to Blackburn, my hometown in Lancashire in the northwest. And um, we got engaged and we, you know, we got married, bought a house and um, I had to supplement this, you know, drive and want to um, to sing with with an income. So, you know, reality hits, you've got to pay bills, you've got to, <laughs> if you also want the family life, you've got to be able to bring income in. So I started teaching, we'd done a lot of teaching modules at college, I'd had brilliant teachers around me and they teach you so much. Um and the best teachers actually teach you how to teach. I, I really feel that. Um, and I started teaching and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I was working in lots of different schools. I had a studio from home. I did a lot of one-to-one adults, children, and built a, a local reputation in schools and, and music centres. Um, and then obviously uh, fell pregnant with my daughter when we were married. And um, when I was six months pregnant, that's when I, I had the crashing blow that um, actually my husband had had an affair, found out. And yeah, my world imploded. It really did implode. That's awful. And I can't imagine for one second <clears throat> how it would feel. Because may I ask you this question? You're in love with this guy, right? You had a great relationship. And then obviously you are six months pregnant and you discover the most awful thing that can be discovered by anybody who's in a loving relationship that they have turned to somebody else, let's say, and they are giving them affection and having an affair. What happened at this point then, Jane, because you're six months pregnant, what do you do? How do you deal with that? What, 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 what's your what's your decision? What's going through your mind at this uh, this stage? If you're able to share that with us, and I hope it doesn't bring back, you know, traumatic th- thoughts to you. But um, are you able to share with us what how you felt? Was there was there? I, I'm surmising there might have been initially some anger, some resentment, all sorts of things going on. Can you can you can you walk us through how you felt? Yeah, I think initially it was complete shock. Okay. And I think shock in your body, it, I mean, I remember that feeling today. It just, I just ran cold. It was it was complete disbelief. It was shock. I, I just, I didn't see it coming. It it wasn't on the horizon. You know, my, my ex-husband is, he wasn't someone who went out lots and lots. He wasn't a drinker. He wasn't a socializer. He wasn't a... Some people would, everyone's got a stereotype, haven't they? How that could be. But I just didn't, I didn't expect it. So it was shock initially. And obviously, you know, just devastation. Um, I'd seen my sister um, raise her son without a father and and um, on the scene. And it was, I, I just, it wasn't in my in the plan and it wasn't what I expected and I was carrying this beautiful baby quite far gone and and the secrecy and the lies and how it had happened and it was just a a mash of emotion and thoughts and feelings in my head um anger I don't know whether I was angry I I, I was just devastated yeah at that point how do you then go on to start to come to terms with that yeah, I had the best family and friends around me, you know, extended family and my ex-husband's family, friends, the support was, I would not have got through it without them. You know, I, they they just carried me through each day, um, each week, each month. Um, it was... It's it does it takes me back to that to that time where I was. I can see myself in the house and and wandering around. It was, I was just I was lost. I was devastated when I should have been, you know, decorating a nursery and buying baby clothes and going to antenatal classes. That wasn't what was happening for me. I was trying to navigate a, a broken heart. I guess. Yeah, of course you were. Of course you were. Um. So 
and I, I wasn't, I got to the point where I really wasn't eating very well. I, I, I did have a thing about hot cross buns. I ate so many hot cross buns, <laughs> I remember. But, you know, it's sort of in one. And, and then I'd go periods of time where I just couldn't eat because yeah. of emotion. So then obviously the knock-on effect of that is going to midwife appointments and them saying, no, this baby might be slightly... Um, underweight or you know, won't grow if you're not feeding and so th there was all of that going on really yeah. um yeah. and I had to continue you know on the flip side of that I'm still self-employed I've got to pay the bills yeah. um my ex-husband has gone and and so I've got to keep a roof over our head so I still have to work mm. you know and, and turn up and and deliver and do you know what i buried all of how I was feeling and how I was. I mean, today we talk about, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yes. But yes. we're talking 16, 17 years ago here yeah. and it wasn't as talked about and you turned up with a big smile on your face and you, you for me, you cracked on. Yes. Um, so nobody that I was teaching in schools or whatever, obviously maybe that, you know, the, the head of musical what would, would have understood what I was going through, but that from the pupil's point of view and the, you know, the teaching, I was Jane as, as normal. Um, and it was, you know, I suppose a few years later when one of my pupils that I was teaching in, in those early years came back to me and said, I never, I, I now know you, some of that story, but I, I didn't know that was affecting you at that time. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so I still had to function at quite a, a, a high a high level, if that not in terms of obviously now what I do in business, but for, from a teaching point of view and and, and wearing that smile and and giving a hundred percent of myself. So it, yeah, it was a it was a tough time. It's amazing how so many people, myself included, Jane, um, when I went through my trauma, it's to put on this brave face, this this mask, you know, uh, and and just you know keep pushing through. But unfortunately, at some point, it's going to push us. It'll either rear its head again uh, because we haven't dealt with it or, or it will in that moment just keep coming like a wave and, and eventually it'll take us down. And um, I wonder how you then went on from that and how you sort of started to recover because I know at one point you had a setback, obviously, um, which we can talk about if you're comfortable, actually hospitalised you, didn't it? But but that was much later than what we're talking about now, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I was going to, when you were just talking, then I was thinking, you know, when you say to me, how did I deal with it at the time in terms of infidelity and being on my own and being a new mum and all of those things, I actually don't think I did deal with it. Yeah. I just, it, I saw something on a, on a, on a video and it was a woman pushing this balloon down and down and down and down. And I think, and she was talking that sometimes if you don't deal with trauma at the time or deal with setbacks or upsets, however small, however huge, then they, they, that you're just pushing them down. And eventually at some point they're going to burst. Yes. You're going to burst. Yes. And I didn't have that realization, but what I do have now is, is, is a perspective in that, uh, yes, years later, um, 15, 16 years later, I obviously had this um, this huge mental and physical breakdown. And whilst there was lots of various factors at the time that led to that, there was lots of historical trauma that was also part of part of that because I was just, I needed to cope. I had to carry on, you know, and although as many life knocks that keep kept coming at me, I just kept taking them yeah. over those over those years and and maybe pushing that balloon down, pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. So it's really interesting. One of my previous guests, uh, Alexa Brown, talks about trauma and she, she talks about it in her profession, but she says, you know, that in her profession, nobody is bulletproof psychologically. And I, I think that I think that's true to all of us. None of us are bulletproof psychologically. So when we go through trauma or, or distress or, 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 you know, in this case, awful, you know, bloody hell, I can't think how you felt, um, you know, somebody having your husband having an affair 
uh, when you're six months pregnant. And you're right. I've done it myself. You know, that's a great um, metaphor that you use. You know, this, this balloon, which is the trauma, which is the stress, which is the anxiety, which is the sleepless nights, which is the depression, which is the w whatever else way it manifests and shows itself that, that, a, that a psychiatrist would, would, would put in, into the uh, diagnosis, um, is the balloon is being pushed down. Well, it hasn't been dealt with. So whether it pops itself back up a year later, a week later, many years later, if we don't deal with trauma correctly, it will, in most cases, come back and smack us in the face. And I'm not sure that that's what did happen to you, Jane, but can we talk about, because I remember when you said to me you had a mental breakdown, um, and it was pretty horrific. Um, but you also said that before you had your own mental breakdown, you didn't know that mental health was a thing. No, I was, I was, I was in, I was ignorant of of mental health and us all having hundred percent of us mental health and physical health, and it just had never been a consideration of mine. It Maybe it's something I'd never come across, I hadn't had any experience of. Um, it was just completely alien to me. Um, and how incredible is that, you know? I, know. Um, I, I just, I, I didn't have, no one around me had I had family thing, you know, discussions or experience of someone experiencing a bad, men bad mental health or talking about good mental health. It just wasn't. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I, it wasn't. Or maybe it was, and I was blinkered and wasn't, you know, aware of it. And it's actually only when you experience something or know about something or you're shown another path that you then. Um, have your eyes opened yeah and and it was, it was and obviously it was bad for me you, right? it was in it was the most because you were you were um, at one point you were hallucinating um you know you you were you were in you're in a very very dark place and and to see you now i'm firstly i'm really really happy that you that you are who you are today um, i would never wish anything like that upon anybody um but sometimes it it it, it perversely makes us stronger and it makes us see things in a different way I don't want to go over that too much, Jane, because I know that it's, it's, it's you know, unless you want to talk more about it, it's, it's probably, you know, a, a place that you went to and, and you recovered. But can you talk to us about, if you may, just share with the listeners what was happening at that time? You know, what, why did you, what, what, what happened to... To, for the breakdown to take place, Do you, did you did you consciously know of anything creeping up on you, or, or, or was was it sort of related to something else? Uh, are you are you able to share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, I had um, you know built the business that I run today, Little Voices, um, and it had been going for twelve years, twelve thirteen years, um, a national network, award winning, as you alluded to at the beginning, um, and. I would always say to you, if you'd talked to me five, six years ago, you know, Little Voices is my second baby. It's the ba the second, I've got one daughter. I never went on to have further children, okay. although I would have loved them. Um, but Little Voices was my second baby. And that's how I described it. Um, to that end, it took all of my time, all of my energy, all of my passion, all of my love. That's that I lived and breathed my daughter and Little Voices. And um, it was 20, uh, you know, 2020, we just had our national conference. So we all gather together in the, in the Midlands and um, we just put on this most amazing event. And as I traveled home the next day, I had severe stomach pain and I was rushed into hospital that following evening. And a long story short, but they found a twisted cyst. It was a dermoid cyst. Right. And this cyst had been apparently growing inside of me for many, many years. Uh, they grow at about a centimetre a year, I believe. And there, and it had twisted and therefore was causing me this pain. So it wasn't appendicitis as, as first suspected. Uh, the scan revealed the cyst. So they removed that in, in emergency surgery. 
Um, and I was discharged the day, a day later and, and came home on, on painkillers, etc. And was then at that point supposed to put my physical health <laughs> first. Um, <laughs> part of that operation meant that I'd all had to have half of my women's anatomy taken away as well. So ovary, fallopian tube, etc. So it was far bigger mm. operation than I, I hadn't planned for it, obviously. Um, and I was supposed to be recovering, but Little Voices was my second baby. And, you know, I was on the phone and I was emailing and I was talking and recovery, that wasn't really, it wasn't really in my psyche. Okay. I didn't understand the importance of it. Um, Jane can cope with anything. Okay. That, it's just how I was, yep. you know, it's what I'd always done with anything that had, had come my way. So um, why would I have handled that time any differently? And we got an infection, treated with antibiotics. The infection didn't go, another lot of antibiotics. My body just wasn't fighting the infection. Um, and over those weeks, not resting, we then start to get the situation with the, the pandemic and coronavirus. And, and I could see what was happening over in in China and they're thinking it's going to come over here da, 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 and started to build to be able to pivot the business online because if they close, we work a lot in schools. So we work with children in schools, in very small groups. We work in after school clubs, in community halls. You take all those venues away and close down, as happened to all of us across the world, um, you have no business to operate. Yeah. So I started to pivot the business online quite early. And by the time they closed, but by doing that, I was up all night, every night, writing plans, writing strategies, writing policies, writing procedures, writing template emails, everything. So that on the Friday when the school shut, all of our parents had an email with a link to a virtual classroom. See your child next week, five o'clock, Tuesday, we'll see you online. It was, no one else was doing Zoom at that point. It was talked about, people would, but but I'd done it and built it. And I, I'm not technical, I'm not particularly highly detailed, but I did it because the driving force inside me was, we have to survive. I haven't built this business for it to be taken away from yeah. me after 12 years. So the situations, you've got no sleep, no food properly, not really drinking very well, staying up all night working, a raging blood infection that wasn't being handled by uh, antibiotics. It was, it was a, a cocktail of disaster. Um, and me still not realising that I needed... I mean, my phone was constant. The messages to my phone, the social media messages, the comments on social media, the support of our network, my head office team closing the head office. It was all going on in that in that five days. And, and really, it's not surprising my body went enough. Wow. No, it's, it isn't. It isn't at all. And it's like you had you had basically ignored your body and 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 the in, the interesting thing is when we talk about all of those demands that you you were under some of them self-imposed but but some of but some of them also external forces i.e emails going phone going social media bop 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 you know up till midnight up early morning just go 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 this hardwired jane resilient warrior whatever you want to call it you know strong woman who was determined to not let uh, something as uh, horrific as a pandemic take down her business and had you know, a, a very, very clear strategy and plan to pivot the business onto online, which is remarkable. But in all of that, you'd forgot about yourself, Jane. Oh, I'd lost it. I, I, <laughs> I, there was no I. There was no I whatsoever, Ian. Like, it wasn't... And, and you just said then, you know, up till midnight and up early morning. It was worse than that. So I would go to bed. I remember my husband coming back from work and he came on the driveway... And I was like, what are you doing here? And he went, well, I'm home. It's shifts ended. I hadn't even, and I'm so good with my diary. I'm so good with where everyone's up to and how everything's rolling. And I hadn't even, I thought, oh, I thought that was tomorrow. I'd, I'd lost hours and days in that week. Um, he would go to bed. I'd go with him as a, as a gesture. I'd lie there. He'd fall asleep and I'd get back up. So I literally just wasn't even sleeping. Wow. I was on automatic pilot because at night the phone wasn't going the emails weren't going I could get the other plan stuff done um and our brains are incredible and my brain worked really well and really fast but was absorbing so much yeah um and it, 
it popped. I just, it got to the Saturday morning and um, what I go on to tell you and what maybe we talk about going forward, some of which is what I can remember and some of which what I tell you is what other people have told me or I've picked right. up from others, um, you know, during my recovery because I sat on, I remember sitting on the stairs, my mum was there sat in front of me, another stairs journey the stairs have featured a lot in my life <laughs> um and things happening um but sat on the stairs and uh and my head just popped it just I heard this bang between my ears it was so vi it was so loud it was so memorable and I had no idea and from then on in everything is a blur I've pieced it together over my recovery um but I guess really then you know I've woke up in hospital I remember coming out of the hospital room one day and looking at this blackboard with the date on and it said something 23rd of April something like that and I was like wow the last date I remember is about the 20th of March wow so you know they'd obviously got the infection under control I'd been treated with antibiotics they'd got my physical health back they'd then literally switched my brain off with medication to let that just heal and rest and sleep um and I would, I would liken it to, and my mum has likened it to, you know, going through a brain injury, going through a recovering from a, from a brain injury, because it was literally about then rebuilding me and rebuilding my brain. When I came out of hospital after six weeks, my mum and my fiancé picked me up and um, I couldn't butter a piece of toast. I couldn't boil an egg. I couldn't, I couldn't go outside. I, I was scared of my own shadow. I... It was incredible. Wow. That really is amazing. Not as in amazing what happened, as in amazing to realise where you've got to now, Jane, uh, to, to recover from <laughs> that, to bounce back. You're one hell of a woman. I, I hear you mention there your fiancé, your partner coming home from work. I want to explore this with you because you've gone through a horrific experience with with your husband um you've then you know continued with your business you've then obviously got your daughter who, who you love dearly uh live and um she's uh you know you're, you're you're supporting her and and you're so you're you're juggling all of these balls how do you well firstly how do you have the Confidence, I suppose, is perhaps the best word, or trust, or, or, or there's a whole host of words I could use. But how do you start to think about being with another man? How did how did you and your partner come together, and how would how was that for you from a perspective of recovery, moving forward with your life? That's that's a really interesting question, not one that I've thought of very deeply. I have to say. Um, I I did a, an awful lot of, of dating between, you know, my divorce and obviously meeting my wonderful husband now. Yeah. I'm someone who likes to see the, the, the cup as half full, not half empty. I like to see everyone as an individual and I guess to push comfort zones with with myself and and believe that we can all do that and find happiness or find something better or you've had to go through this to learn something. I've always had that mindset. I can't I can't change yep. that. It's fundamentally who I am. Um so I suppose I you know obviously bringing a, a live up was um on your on your own as a, a sole parent within a house with her I mean she's always had an amazing relationship with her father I made sure that happened from day one didn't matter what he'd done to me or our relationship this was his daughter and he, she needed to have the best dad she could possibly have um, and that for me meant putting my feelings and how I felt aside and making nurturing that relationship so I'm really pleased we did that and they have a super relationship today and I got myself back out there and I started dating and I went on online dating and do you know what I had some really really positive experiences Good. I met some lovely people um and I also had some some not so nice experiences <laughs> but but I knew I'd come through the other side um you know I went and I had another relationship for about five years and that didn't work out um it, it 
but yeah, it was a, another story. We could do a whole podcast on that one too, um, which obviously surrounded my alcohol-free journey afterwards. And then, um, and then I just thought, no, get back on, get back on this. You, you'll find the right person. I believed, um, and I met my lovely husband today on on a on a dating app, and we went out for a coffee. And you know, I'd done this several times before, but he was just everything that was right for me, loyal, trustworthy, solid, caring. It's just honestly incredible on every level. And we just, you know, we're we're a perfect pair together. I'm really pleased. You've got, you know, to answer your question, you've got to trust, you've got to believe, you've got to, you know, you know, okay, I was victim to pushing down the trauma, not dealing with things as and when they happened through, through my previous, you know, 10, 12 years. Um, but I was right to keep believing because something really good came, you know, and, and he's been my rock. I could not have survived without my fiancé, now husband, through what I've recently gone through. He stood by my side and with my family, with my parents and sisters, etc. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Good. I'm really, really pleased. And, and you know, it, it is interesting, <clears throat> the world of dating, you know, it's uh, we all see this, uh, uh, you know, uh, or, or some of us should I say the, the, this swipe left, swipe right scenario. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, you know, how do you judge a person so superficial? I think sometimes that you know you're seeing an image and a, and a description, but th- th- there are wonderful people out there. There really are, and um, your your testament to that. And um, I, you know, I, I'm 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 so happy for you, Jane. It's amazing, and just to 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 send that message out there to 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 men and women um that you know there are good people out there there are and um just have faith and just just believe in yourself to, and, and set your boundaries and don't compromise and you know all of those things uh, but when the right one comes along you'll you'll just know you'll just know i think anyway um so and it just works and you, you, you know you, it does just work and you you can get where you want to can have a, a lovely relationship with someone just trust and believe you're right there are lovely people out there and it's the way we meet people today online isn't it i mean that's how i met you how <laughs> i met so many different people yeah. you know yeah. um just 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 trust and, and believe and obviously stay true to yourself yeah 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 and and, and also know when you, you you you've got a good person who's come into your life you know value them cherish them and and uh and and be there for each other. I think is really important. Um, but um, I'm really pleased about that. And and uh, you know, I think um, yeah, it's just uh, amazing that 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 journey and that faith you 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 seem to have inside you. It seems to be in your DNA. It's an, it's an undercurrent throughout this whole journey that you are very very uh, resilient and just uh, 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 sort of as I said in my intro have risen from like a phoenix from the ashes at some points in your life on, on actually many occasions um, you spoke briefly there about becoming alcohol free which I know for you now is four years is it yeah how what would your memories be of your relationship with alcohol versus being alcohol free hey it's a really good question one i've only just answered for myself in recent months um because i've enjoyed the challenge of becoming alcohol free the challenge with myself of removing alcohol which you know, years ago, and as I was a teenager, it was part of socialising. It was the expected. It was the norm. Going out on a Friday night, drinking lots, um, and so when it becomes then part of you know Friday night, switch off from work, bottle of wine into the pub, fusion and tonic. Saturday night, you know, it was part, just part of everything that I did, and and um, it was very much a signal for the end of work. That's what I've realised. It was a, it was almost a self medication right. to to stress or to a switch off. That's how I would now say alcohol was in my life. That's that was the reason for it. And the reason I know that is because I still have amazing nights out, dance on dance floors, chat at dinner parties. Um, don't need it to to take the edge off anything. Not that I ever did, but do, so it was very much. Um, 
I would say, a self-medication to, to stress. And so if you can think that, obviously, I gave up alcohol way before, 18 months before I had the, the physical and mental breakdown. So it was already not a feature of, of my life yeah. for a long time. Um, but it probably stopped me from having a breakdown <laughs> years previously, <laughs> if I'm honest, because it would get to Friday night, let's say seven o'clock, I would close the laptop and, you know, open a bottle of wine and start cooking because I love to cook. Um, finish the bottle with my partner, maybe have another bottle, you know, gin and tonics, whatever. And I would never touch anything to do with work or little voices then. I just wouldn't. It was, yeah. so it was a, it, it became a signal switch off, not that I knew it at the time. Um, so unpicking what your personal relationship with alcohol is and why you think you need it. I think is a really important part of that journey of eradicating, you know, alcohol from your life. Mm. And now you feel how about alcohol? Um, I don't think badly of it or no. a problem. I just choose not to have it as a part of my life yeah. because life's better. Yeah. So I think once you've, I listened to someone talking about, you know, once you've experienced the side of the island that's alcohol free, if you imagine an island and you're on the beach that's alcohol free and you've experienced that beach, then you go over, because I did 30 day challenge or, you know, people do dry January or whatever. And I flipped back into the, to the old way. But once you've had a real taste of it, you, you then actually want to go back to that beach. And, and I, I'm not going to leave that beach now. I, I know, I can tell you now, I'll never have another alcoholic drink. It doesn't interest me. Yeah. Because your sleep is brilliant. Your clarity of thought is brilliant. You don't have, I can drive my car home. I don't need taxis. I don't, it's just, it's enlightening. It's empowering. It's a completely different, I've got so much more time. Mm. I don't miss hangovers. I don't miss disrupted sleep. I, I don't miss buying a bottle of wine. And so it just, it isn't even in my, it's not in my world. It doesn't, not part of me. My husband still drinks and that's fine. I have no problem with it. It's not, yeah. we have drink in the house. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic. <laughs> I wasn't pouring it on my cereals. But yeah. um, if that's what an alcohol, I don't know. It was just not not part of life and yeah. I prefer this And way. it's interesting what you just said there because again, you know, very relatable, Jane. I haven't drank for just over five years now. I don't miss it. Um, and I'm not anti-alcohol at all. Um, you know, and, and, and I often find myself in social environments and people actually think I'm drunk because I'm dicking around, I'm having a laugh, you know, I'm dancing, I'm just energy in the in the environment, I'm lively. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because same as you, I just think that people deserve to have choice. And um, the one thing that one of my previous guests, um, Andy from the Alcohol Free Company speaks about is pro-choice and and this, this, you know, he's trying, he's on a mission to to stop shaming people about not drinking, you know, pressurizing you. Oh, go on, just have one. You know, what's up with you? You're being boring, you know, and all this BS. I, I just don't think it's necessary. But I'm pleased. I'm pleased. It's interesting to hear how that how that relationship happened for you. So um, you've you've had an amazing um, life with 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 sort of twists and turns along the way, and you're here today smiling. Um, Little Voices is doing really well. Can you tell us a little bit more about Little Voices um, uh, and just share with us, you know, how it works, how people can find Little Voices? They may have parents maybe listening to this, young people may be listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, I think I've got a bit of a performer in me or I just want to go and explore um, this, this, this fantastic uh, business called Little Voices. What's it all about, uh, Jane, and, and how can people start on that journey and how can they find you? Yeah, so Little Voices is, um, it's all over the country. So there's the centres, lots of locations. We work with children as individuals, so they come in a very small group. There's only ever eight children in a class, um, and that's really purposeful so that we can get to know every child and find find their hidden talents or maybe their very exposed talents. But um, we work with each child, and they have a drama lesson one week, singing lesson the next, 
build fantastic friendships. We work towards um, Lambda qualifications. So children get um, a, a real CV packed full of exams for from an activity that they love doing every week, which is which is lovely. So if you're, you know, doing your GCSEs and wanting to go on to a particular A-level course and you drop a grade, it can help you get into college or, or university. So you're doing something that you love every week and fit into your life because it's after school hours, it's not on weekends build some fabulous friendships and and improve your your drama, your presentation skills, your eye contact, your walking in a room. If you feel a little bit shy, a little bit nervous, we can work with that. And we do it through the, the realm of, of drama and singing. And, and the teachers that I work with, the, the principals and franchisees that I work with across the country all really care about you being the best that you can be. And unfortunately... Whilst I was very lucky and had this in a primary school and a, and a secondary school, today there isn't time for these creative subjects in schools. Mm. It's all about maths, English, core subjects. Mm. You know, the teachers are under pressure to get results and stats and sats and, 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 and make, make benchmarks. But actually, the creative arts, drama, singing, music... It gives you so many skills for life and it's not focused on in school. You're in a huge class. You sometimes can get lost at the back. So Little Voices gives you your space to find. I love that. I love that. What's the future looking like then, Jane? Where's, where, where's, where, where's the future for Jane James and uh, Little Voices and your personal life? And what, 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 what are you, what's next on, on, on the map? Number one, Ian, I can promise you Jane James puts Jane James first. And I have a very specific me first strategy on a day-to-day -day basis Good. with really basic self-care, sleep, you know, water, exercise, the, the fundamental five a day. So I can guarantee that that's, that's the biggest part of day-to-day of -day life. My daughter's doing her GCSEs. Um, we have memory days every month. Little Voices is no longer my second baby. It's part of a hierarchy within my life. I love it. Don't get me wrong. We'll go on winning awards. We'll go on making a difference to children's lives. I'll go on working with teachers who want to exit the classroom and build their own business with us um, within our network. I love all of that, but it has a place now and it's not 24-7 at, at 100 miles an hour for me. Um, we, you know, we have... a over 180 teachers working with us and 30, almost 30 franchisees running their business with us. So we've certainly got lots of areas in the UK that um, there's opportunities there for people to, to come and join us if they love us and feel and want to make a difference to children's lives in this way, um, then they can join us as a franchisee. And um, we've got, you know, inquiries from, from abroad internationally, but at this moment in time, the UK is enough for us, um, but, you know, we will explore those those channels in, in due course. I just, you know, it's about making a difference to everyone's got something amazing to share. Be the best you can be and let's just help children to do that. That's incredible. What I like about what you've just summarised there is that you, you've sort of taken control of this what which was going to be one of my questions actually and you've answered it for me so thank you which was how do you how do you effectively manage your work-life balance and you've just very very uh, uh, succinctly put that together that, that now it's Jane James first and then there's a balance for everything else in your life including your of course your lovely daughter and your partner and your family and your friends and 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 of course yes to keep building little voices to be uh, the, the the great business that it is um how can our listeners find you jane what's the best way to um reach out to little voices or indeed yourself if if that's an option yeah absolutely so we've got a website obviously littlevoices.org.uk um we're on all the social media channels little voices ltd little voices limited but feel free to follow me on Instagram, Mrs. Jane James. Um, you'll naturally feed through to, to different Little Voices um, information from there. And um, I'm, I'm happy to chat, talk, give advice to anybody, teacher, person, someone struggling. You know, it makes all what you've gone through in your life or in your short life um, worth it if you can have an impact. And um, so, yeah, reach out, social media channels. Amazing. 
Thank you, Jane. Thank you for being a guest on So Watch Your Story. Um, I think your story is fascinating and I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy listening to your story as well. It's been a real pleasure and uh, I hope you have a fantastic 2023. Um, you've been amazing. You are amazing. Thank you, Jane. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I think you'll agree that was quite a story. Join me again for next week's episode of Ian Beaton's So What's Your Story? If you enjoyed this episode, it meant something to you, or maybe you think a friend or a loved one might like to listen to it too, go ahead and share it with them. Remember, if you have a story you'd like to share, or perhaps you know someone who does, I invite you to join me on my podcast. I can be contacted by email, web, or social. Thank you. You've just listened to So Watch Your Story.